Gracias por sintonizar nuestro podcast. Te habla tu servidor, el Pastor Mario. Esperamos que este mensaje te anime, te desafíe y hable a tu corazón. Disfrútanos. John the Baptist is, is baptizing people out, out in the Jordan and, and you know, there's, there's hundreds, yea, thousands beginning to come out and be part of his ministry. And, and he's building a ministry And he has lots of followers. And yet, he, in, in John, first chapter, he, he begins to see things like, it is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and John bore witnessing, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Verse 34, and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So, so John has this, this big ministry growing. And if you can imagine, and, and many of us in this room, we've, we've participated in ministry one way or another. We've, we've planted churches. We've, we're part of a local church. And we know what it takes to build a ministry. And yet John, in his humility, he says, I, I'm not worthy to put on this one who's coming, his, his sandals even. And, and he says to his disciples, you've gotten everything you need from me. Now follow him. Could you imagine? I, I have a, a friend who was approached by a very big ministry. And if I said this man's name, you would all know his name. He's written many, many books. He has a very large church. And... He went to my friend, you see, he's, <clears throat> he doesn't walk in the things of the Spirit, and he said, my congregation, maybe three quarters of them, huge church, need to walk in the Spirit, and I can never take them there. It's just not who I am. And so would you take three quarters of my congregation and start a new church and, and take them on this road of things of the Spirit? I mean, if, if you're a pastor and you know what you've given in order to have a flock, <laughs> and then to say take three quarters of them because I don't have what they need. That's John the Baptist. And he, he says to his disciples, follow him. Behold the Lamb of God. And then to his disciples, verse 37, they heard him speak and they began to follow Jesus. Then Jesus turned around and said, what do you guys want? Like John said, follow him, and they started to follow him. And Jesus like, what do you guys want? They said, we, we just want to know you. We want to know where you lay your head. We want to know everything about you. And then Jesus says that, and we all know this famous line, but, but he invites them into intimacy. He says, come and see. When, when we become a Christian, and whatever that word means to you, but when, when we, we step into the kingdom, we don't invite a little Jewish man into our hearts, although he lives there. But he invites us into his reality, into his milieu, into his relationship with the Father. What, what Jesus is inviting the boys into is, is the world in which he lives. He says, if you want to know about me, you've got to be close to me. And then 
it goes on, and, and we're not going to spend the time right now, but he, he, he finds Philip and says, follow me. And then Philip finds Nathaniel, and he says to Nathaniel, you won't believe it. <laughs> I think it's him. The one that's been prophesied in, in Ezekiel and in Isaiah, I think it's him. I think he's come. And, and, and Nathaniel's like, does, does anything good come from? <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. You've got to come and see. You've got to experience this reality. And, and beloved, what, what we have here is, is the first multiplication of discipleship, if you will. And if you want to know what discipleship is, and, and there's lots of people that have written a lot about discipleship and they give you a little discipleship book, but I, me, my personal opinion, discipleship is inviting somebody into your world and have them close to you and you give them what you have. You see, we can only give that which we've received. I can't give somebody something I don't have. And oftentimes, and, and, and this, is, this goes back to religion, we, we think our disciples are ours. They're his. What if you have something to give somebody? And you give that to them. But now they need something else maybe. And if we're holding on to them, this is my disciple, you're part of my group of discipleship and you're mine. (laughs) We got in a lot of trouble with that kind of language. The 70s and the 80s. If we can hold things with an open hand, if we can give freely, you see, Jesus, he invites them in. Come and see. And, and Nathaniel, I mean, we're not going to spend the time there, but so it just keeps going. It gets better and better. But discipleship, beloved, if we just invite people into our world and we give what we have, but when it's time for them to be discipled by others, it's, it, it's easy if we have open hands. Go, oh, I think this person, these people, this couple has something for you. It doesn't mean you, you break relationship. But maybe they need something over there. I, I think of this man and his humility to give up three quarters of his church. And, and my friend didn't end up taking it. I think he now, he does pastor here in Texas now. But he said, you know what? That's, that's not what God has for me. Blown away by the offer. Thank you that you see that in me. And you trust you trust something that you've paid a dear price for, that you would trust me to care for it. But behind that, ultimately, is he was saying, I trust God with their lives. I trust that he's gonna take them on the journey they need to go. John 16. We'll start in verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name, And I did not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. And I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and now come to the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. So he's saying, essentially, there's coming a day when I no longer am going to intercede on your behalf. Because... 
Because I've introduced you. As you've walked with me, I invited you to come and see, follow me. As we've walked together, I've invited you into my reality. And my reality is I only do what I see my father doing. And I've introduced you to my father. You, you've become part of my reality that I, I look to my father for everything I do. If you see me, you've seen the father. And he says, the day is coming when you're not gonna go through me to get to the father, but you're gonna go to him yourself because my father loves you. Because you've, you believe in who I am, that the father sent me. And because of your relationship with me, you are gonna be able to go to the Father directly. I'm not gonna pray for you anymore. Although it, it says in the Bible that he, he's continually 24-7 interceding. But he's saying you're gonna go direct. You're gonna live in the exact same way connected to the Father that I do. Oh, beloved, this is the beginning of the beginning of a clue where Jesus is saying the life that I now live is gonna be yours. In the same way that Jesus has access to the Father in Christ, you and I now have the fullness. We're co-heirs with Christ. Everything he gets, we get. We have full access to the Father now in Christ. Everything. And so we can expect that everything we see Jesus do in the gospel, that we can do the same thing. Connected to our Father. Not, not trying to win his love, but just connected in relationship. Oh, he just wants to love you. And, and it sounds so simple. You're like, wait a minute. You mean he just wants to pour himself into you, us and love us? Beloved, tomorrow and, and the next day, there's uh, where this is going. I can't wait to show you. We need to get some foundations down, but where this is going, where Father is taking this this is what Father's doing on the earth. We, we get the privilege to go around the earth and see what he's doing. It's not based on a ministry, Father Heart Ministries. It's based on a father who loves his kids and will do anything to get them back. Amen. And that's what he's doing across the earth. And his disciples said to him, verse 29, see now that you are speaking plainly and using no figures of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need anyone should question you. By this we believe you came forth from God. And now Jesus says, finally! <laughs> like you're finally getting it. I've been, I've been saying this for how long and now finally you're getting it? <laughs> Do you now believe, he says? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. What Jesus is confessing here, contrary to some of the hymns of old, is that the Father never, ever, ever leaves the Son. In particular, when he goes to the cross. The Father is with me Always. We could just sit here and, and meditate on that. That Jesus is never apart, separated from the Father. If that's true for Jesus, oh beloved, it's true for you, it's true for me. That we're never separate from the Father. He's always with us. He's always loving us. In Christ. You see, it's Christ that makes a way for us. It's his love that makes a way for us. The Father sent the Son because he loved us. 
We're, we're caught in this love triangle. Or maybe it's a linear triangle. Love linearness. <laughs> love line. <laughs> New word for the translator. <laughs> you see, the Father is loving us. He's transforming us so that we will become a made ready, prepared, blazing bride for his son. And at the same time, the son is preparing us to be sons and daughters to our father. Like there's this, this competition between the father and the son to, to grow us up into the fullness that is Christ, prepared, made ready for a wedding day. You see, they're both working as hard as they can to prepare us. We have the Father and the Son fighting over us to love us, to fill us. And all we have to do is sit back and receive it. It seems so contrary to getting on a treadmill. Like, you mean he just loves us? Yeah. And we talked about this yesterday, and we'll talk a little bit more, but when he pours his love into us, that, the stuff, love, is tangible, takes up space, it pushes the bad stuff out, and, and ultimately, sonship, what sonship is, is that he keeps pouring his love in, pouring his love in until it overflows. The only way that I can do what I do, the only way that we can run around the world and do all the things that we do is because we live from the overflow. I used to be, I, we were in missions for many years and we get together with other missionaries and we, we tell these stories how we poured our lives out for so and so or we, we went and we gave it all for this or that or whatever but God has never asked me to pour myself out <laughs> to, to excavate the inside of me. Jesus poured his life out we're to pick up his cross, but you see, we, there's a place where we can live from the overflow. The stuff of God. Him is where we live and breathe and have our, our being. It's in him, in his love. Indeed, the hour is coming. Verse 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world, you have trouble, but be of good cheer before I have overcome the world. And I think on Monday, Leslie's gonna speak at length on this, so I'm, I'm not gonna attempt to. Verse 17, again, this chapter 17, this is an intimate conversation. Je Jesus on his way to the cross, John records this, this last prayer, maybe hours before Jesus goes to the cross. And just look at Jesus. Jesus spoke these words. He lifts his eyes up to heaven and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. Now this word glorify can also mean reveal. Reveal your name. So Jesus, on his way to the cross, Jesus, fully God, fully man, he says, Father, glorify me so that I might glorify you. The only way that I can give you glory is that you pour yourself into me. This is God. <laughs> but beloved, likewise, you and I, we can say, Father, glorify me, pour your love into me so that I might glorify you. If Jesus needed to do it, we probably do too. 
But if Jesus did it, we can do it. Father, glorify me so that your name would be revealed on the earth, so your name would be glorified. Verse two, as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you should have given him. And this is eternal life. We're always looking for answers for give me definition. Jesus gives us a good definition. This is eternal life that they may know you. Eternal life is knowing the Father is what Jesus says that they may know you, the only true God, and Christ Jesus, whom you, the Father, have sent. Verse four, I have glorified you on the earth. Jesus speaking, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now what do we do with that? I thought, I thought Jesus came to go to the cross. He came from heaven to earth. To show the way. But yet Jesus, on his, on his way to the cross, is saying, Father, I finished the work that you've given me to do. I'm done. So what is Jesus talking about? I mean, that's a really good question, Larry. You should tell us. <laughs> I'm going to. But we're going we're gonna to answer that in the next period of time here. But it's, it, it's the question of the ages. Jesus is saying, on the way to the cross, Father, I've finished the work that you've given me to do. What is the work that the Father gave the Son to do? I mean, that's a great question. If, if, what Jesus, if we can take verbatim what Jesus has said, I have finished the work that you've given me to do, what indeed was this work? And in part, we've got to go and look at the context in which Jesus came. Jesus came into the earth at a time when there was a religious system operating. And that religious system, at least as far as the Jews, managed every single piece of your life. When you could do what, how you could do it, where you could travel to, how you could travel to, what you could do on the Sabbath, all these kind of rules were in place in order to carry, it was a time of preparation for the Jews and it, it, was, it was the nursemaid getting them ready to understand that they could not complete the law. And Jesus steps into this world where they cannot complete the law. But there's this, this annual sacrifice of a perfect lamb. They find a lamb that's spotless, perfect. And they sacrifice that lamb in order to atone for the sins of the entire nation for that year. And one man, he prepares himself, he consecrates himself for an entire year of preparation in order to be the one that goes in and sacrifices that lamb. Only one has consecrated, has prepared himself enough to enter the holy of holies the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim and, the, and the, the glory dwelling between them. And he brings this lamb in and slaughters the lamb in order to atone for the sins of a nation. That's kind of the, the general landscape. Has, has any, do, you, do you all know what texting is? You've, you've heard of that? 
<laughs> Anyone ever send a text? You're probably some of you right now are sending texts, aren't you? <laughs> I have a little rule about texting. I mean, this is my own personal private rule. But I think if I text you, you should return that text in, I don't know, like 20 seconds. <laughs> right? I mean, I could write you an email if I, if I want to kind of delineate my whole couple paragraphs. This is this. Here you can weigh and measure. You can think about and get back to me in the next couple days. But, or I could call you if I need something right now. But maybe I'm sitting here like this and, and I can't call you because I'm sitting in, the, in a room with other people and I don't want them to hear our conversation. Not appropriate not appropriate to talk in the middle of somebody else talking. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why you wouldn't call somebody. So you text somebody, but really you text people because you're, it's an urgent matter. I mean, sometimes you just say hi, but throw a, an emoji their way. <laughs> but mostly we're, there's some type, if I'm texting you and, and, and I want a response and it's, it's clear I either want you to say, hey, I'll get back to you in the next couple minutes, or here's your answer. I mean, that, that makes sense, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, I'll get back to you in the next week if I want to. <laughs> so imagine if you text a friend, and you say, hey, hey, bro, what's up? Send them a little text. You don't get anything. And you wait the 20 seconds, and you're like, you don't see the little dancing balls down there, and you're like, what's up? Why aren't you answering me? And so you, you might fire another one. Hey, bro, it, it's been a while. Haven't seen you. Love you. Let's get together. Fire it off. Another 10 minutes go by. Bro. Bro. <laughs> and Nothing. And, and so maybe you go for a little bit more time and, and maybe it's getting towards bedtime and you're like, hey, bro, super important. Read the previous three texts. <laughs> and in the morning you wake up, your phone's not by your bed because that's not good. Your phone's probably across the room or maybe in another room because that's where we all keep our phones, right? Amen. And then, <laughs> so you get up in the morning and you go in the other room where your phone is kept and you, you look at it expecting to see this text from your friend. And you're like, nada. And so you're like, hey, what's up? Um, love you. <laughs> like, you're, you're kind of running out of things to say. You go through the rest of the day, nothing. And now it's nighttime. You're going to bed. And we all feel sorriest for ourselves late at night, I think. And... <laughs> And so you're looking, and now you're, you're like thinking back. Like, did I say something? Did I do something? Are they mad at me? Are they upset? Like, just naturally, we start to kind of go there a little bit. Not a lot, but a little. And we go, love you, bro. Looking forward to talking to you tomorrow. <laughs> you wake up in the morning, still nothing. And you have things to do, so you kind of get through. You're at lunch now, and it's been two and a half days. You haven't heard or seen anything of homeboy. And so before you start making accusations, you're going to do a little investigation. So you look on Facebook, you look on Instagram, and there, 
they're there with other friends and they're smiling and they're happy and they're, you know, taking their, their what do you call them, selfies. <laughs> and so you know they're alive, so... Why aren't they talking to you? And so maybe you'll say, hey, bro, you know you're really important to me. I don't know what I would do without you. It'd be really important for me to hear from you. And nothing. And maybe you go another day, another couple days. But if you're like me, your heart starts to get sick. You're, you're longing for a connection. You're longing to hear from them. You're longing to, you know, know what's up. Imagine, if you can, that you text somebody and you don't hear from them for 400 years. That's what Jesus stepped into. A people that haven't heard back from God for 400 years. And so they, they have this law that's been created and the law primarily is to keep them in check. And most of the law is if you don't obey God, even though he's not talking to us, <laughs> but if you don't obey the law, but the inference is if you don't obey God through the law, then your neighbors are gonna get together and they're gonna stone you to death. So fear. The, the main motivating factor is fear. We're, we, we're to fear him. You, you see how we get to here. You see what religion does to humanity. And so there's a people, a, a, a nation, first century Judea, that is afraid of God. They don't know him. They haven't heard from him. Their family maybe have been crying out for generations just to hear him. The priesthood still carries on, wondering when they're going to hear from him again. But yet the glory still dwells amongst the, the cherubim. There's still glory in, in the tabernacle. There's still the ark. The, the stuff's still happening. They still sacrifice the lamb for, for atoning the sins for an entire year. But yet there's this inquieto. Like, I, I don't feel comfortable because I don't know who he is. He's so far and distant. Where, when is he going to show up? And then Jesus shows up. And he does things like miracles on, on the Sabbath. People start getting upset. Who do you think you are doing miracles on the Sabbath? Don't you know that the law says you can't do anything on the Sabbath? If you do, that could be considered work. And if you're working on the Sabbath, you're breaking the law, which means you're out of covenant with God. And ultimately, we can kill you. And Jesus goes, come on. Really? Kill me? And, and he starts to do things that start to ruffle feathers. Ultimately, what, what gets him in the most trouble, a couple things. He, 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 says, he says to the religious, he says, the eyes of your heart are closed. You're never gonna hear God. You don't know him at all. You see, since the time of Moses, your eyes have been closed. You're a hard people. You, you don't have the opportunity. You don't have the ability to see what God's doing. 
In fact, I'm standing in front of you and you don't recognize me. You have no ability to know me. And then he does this thing. He starts to call Abba (laughs) to God Almighty. He starts to say, Daddy. And the religious come and say, let's get Let's just get this straight. I, I don't want to misunderstand what you're saying, Jesus. Um, so what you're saying is that God Almighty is your daddy? Is that what you're saying? Just, I just want to be clear. Yeah, that's exa- you got it. You nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> mm. We're going to have to have some meetings and we'll get back to you. <laughs> and really, that's where they determined to kill Jesus. It was really when he told them that they couldn't see him. They didn't have eyes to see. He, he quoted Isaiah 6. and said, you're not going to see him. You don't have ears or eyes of your heart to see who he is. Otherwise, he would come and he would heal your land. He would heal you. But you're broken. So you can't. Oh, <laughs> 400 years knocking on the door, not hearing. This law is created, and the law is to keep the people in check with fear. Now love steps into the room and says, my daddy and I, we're doing the stuff. We love, we love people. We love who this place is. And Jesus, over and over again, he says, I have come to reveal the name of my father. Our name is important to us. We're... Jesus does signs and wonders. Let's say I, I, I break my ankle. I, I jump off the stage, stage, stage dive. I hurt my ankle. And I'm like, oh, Mario, me. <laughs> take me to the hospital. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get you there. And we jump in his car and off we take off. And, and we come along this, this big blue sign that has an H on it. And he pulls over and he pushes me out and he goes, there you are. I'm like, bro, I need a hospital, not an H. He goes, no, 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 it, it's a sign. I, I, I don't need a sign, I, I need a hospital. You see, signs and wonders, they point to something, someone. Jesus did signs and wonders to show us who our, his dad was. You see, the law had had said dad is angry, dad is upset, dad is mad. But Jesus said, that's not who my dad is. You're messed up. My dad is compassionate. He's merciful. He's loving. If you're broken, he wants to fix you. He doesn't want to leave you like that. In fact, he sent me so you don't stay in this state. He sent me to reconcile you to himself. He even goes as far as to say that while Christ was in the cross, Jesus was reconciling us to himself on the cross through Christ. Wait a minute. John 8, the woman caught in adultery. You remember the story. So that... The scripture says that the religious go and they find this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. They said, get up, 
get out of here. Up, 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 up. Let's go. And, and, and let's, well, they get her out the door. And, and they start announcing to everybody on the way. They say, oh, we caught her in the act of, act of adultery. Act of adultery. Yeah, we caught her. And we're going to take her to Jesus and see what Jesus says. Don't you all agree we should know what Jesus says? Yeah, let's take her to Jesus. Jesus will settle this. You see, in their hearts, they had this, this plan. And the plan was they bring her to Jesus. Jesus does what the law says. And the law said, you must stone her if she's caught in the act of adultery. But Jesus is known as the merciful, compassionate one. So if Jesus stones her, where's the mercy? Where's the compassion? But if Jesus doesn't stone her, now he's not following the law. He's supposedly a rabbi. If you don't follow the law, you can't be a rabbi. So either way, they got him trapped. Oh, this is good. Come one, come all. We're taking her to Jesus. <laughs> right? They want everyone to show up. We gotta, before we continue, we got to ask a couple questions. One, she was caught in the act of adultery. Where's the dude? Why, why, is, why aren't there two people being pushed down the street? The Greek is very clear that they knew exactly where she would be doing what, when. Which means that they set her up. And him might have been one of them. And if it wasn't one of them, it was somebody that they paid. So they knew exactly what was happening. They set the whole thing up. But can you imagine the woman? I mean, this is first century Judea. Women uh, today don't have the full voice that they deserve in many parts of the world, but even in this part of the world. But first century Judea, a woman was like a dog. She was supposed to follow behind. She cover her head. She didn't speak unless spoken to. She prepared the food. She, she did certain things, but she certainly didn't have rights. And so now the, the religious are pushing this woman down the road, and they're, what, what, what is she feeling? She's probably half-dressed. The shame that she must be feeling, but not just shame, because it had to be mixed with fear. And, and, and just the questions, how did I get here? What is, like, she's going to her death, a for sure death. And it's a public death, and it's a stoning death. And, and stoning in this age, what they would do is they would gather around you, and they wanted it to be as long as it could endure. So they would start smashing your feet, and your toes, and your ankles, and your calves, and your shins. And if you've ever ridden a bike and just had a, a stone pop up and hit you in the shin, it's like, ah! And that's like a little tiny pebble. And so they slowly would just break you down. And they would never deliver the killing blow. They want you to just sit there in the suffering. So that, she's seen that. She knows what that looks like. And so that's what she's imagining. And these religious men are pushing her down the street saying, come one, come all, Jesus is going to solve this. And, and Jesus was just in the streets 
They bring her to him and they throw her at his feet. They say, what you gonna do now, Jesus? And I love Jesus. I mean, I love Jesus, but I love Jesus. It says he got down. And, and I picture Jesus just looking into this woman's eyes. And he had to be, you see, all the love in the universe was in, were in those eyes. And something in him had to be just reassuring her. Saying, hang on, my dad's got a plan. And it, and it said that he, he writes something in the sand. But look at just the mercy of that act alone. He wrote in sand. Sand erases. He didn't speak it out for everyone to hear. He didn't write it on stone. He didn't write it on a piece of paper. In his mercy, he left it in the sand. And he probably wrote it in the sand so that the Jews could all see it, the religious. And he probably stepped on it and just wiped it out. I'm not gonna hold this against you. But you're also not gonna do anything to this woman today. And so Jesus, he says, so you wanna, you wanna stone her. This is how we're gonna do it. You who is without sin, there's only one amongst them that's without sin. But he says to them, you who is without sin, you get it going. And we'll all jump in after that. And he waits. And it says one by one from the oldest to the youngest, the religious just slipped into the crowd and disappeared. And now it's Jesus and the woman. We have to go all the way back to first John. And the word was with God. You see, he's with his father as he gets back down in the dirt and he picks up her little chin and says, look at my eyes. We have something to say. Where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. Okay. <laughs> then you're free. My father says that your, your love deficit has been satiated by love now. You see, as she looked into the eyes of the Father, the eyes of Jesus, she experienced love. And, and that love deficit, everything that got her into that room with that man has now been satisfied by God himself. And he, she didn't repent. She didn't, she didn't say, I'm so, so sorry. She didn't call on the name of Jesus. She just said, my accusers are gone. And Jesus said, you are now free. You've been made whole. Look at this. In First Timothy, it says, the desire of God is that all be sozo. That word sozo means healed, saved, delivered. God wants to heal all of us. He doesn't just heal a wound. <laughs> He wants full, full encompassing healing. What he spoke into this woman is healing. Sozo, you're, you've been healed. You, spiritually, you're okay. Emotionally, you're okay. Physically, you're okay. The desire of God is that we all are fully healed. 
He doesn't just want to touch us. He doesn't want us to just have Jesus and then walk around. He wants us to have it all, the fullness of the kingdom. That's what we carry on the inside. Go and sin no more, is what Jesus literally says to her. Which to me says she has the capacity to not sin anymore. It's been satiated with love. Do, 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 do. There's so many good things to look at. Let's look at 1 John 1. This is one of my favorite passages in the world. Actually, let's not do that. We're, we're just going to have to go too fast. So we'll, because I want to get to the answer. What is, what is it that Jesus has done? What is the work that Jesus has done? So let's look at, at John 14, verse 6. Sorry. Making you go all over the Bible. Fourteen one, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house or my Father's reality are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is saying in my Father's domain, in my Father's reality, there's many dwelling places. And I'm gonna go to those dwelling places and I'm going to prepare a place. Ultimately, he's preparing a place where him and the Father and ultimately the Holy Spirit are going to dwell. Setting up for something amazing. We're obviously not going to have time to look at fullness of it. And, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself and where I am there you may also be. So Jesus is just promising that he's going to be with us forever. And where I go, you know, and the way you know, and then Thomas is like, wait, wait, wait a minute, we don't know the way. <laughs> like you just said, we know, wait, tell us more about the way. We have no idea where the way is. And then Jesus says this, this famous line, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and I've been all over the world and I've seen that in many languages. I've seen it in football stadiums in our own country. I've, I, just the other day, within the last two years, by the other day, I saw on the side of a huge barn, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. <laughs> and, and we've seen that everywhere, but there's, there's a famous like basketball Christian movie where the pinnacle of the movie is the coach and the basketball team. He goes and he goes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Come to Jesus. And everyone the stands come pouring down and they all get saved. All those are wonderful things, except that's not what this passage says. <laughs> I mean, it is what it says, but it doesn't finish what it says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only way to the Father, is what Jesus is saying. What's his name? Derek Prince. <laughs> Do we know Derek Prince? 
We've all heard of Derek Prince, prolific Bible teacher, 50 plus years. At the end of his ministry, he came out and he wrote his constituency a long letter. Part of the letter was he said, I'm so, so sorry that I've been teaching about the love of the Father without ever experiencing it. And then he gives kind of a a quick Bible study on the love of the Father in, in this letter he writes. And at the end of the letter, he says, oh, brothers and sisters, like, oh, brethren, very formal letter. I beseech you, would you consider just going to the Father and asking him that he might show you his love? Because what I've experienced as he's loving me, if I've experienced this love, it's changed everything. And I'm so, so sorry that I've, I've preached from a knowing about God without ever knowing him. And then he went on and he said this. He said that the church... said the church is the way and the destination is the Father. And the church has gotten stuck on the way. That's what Derek Prince said. Jesus is the way. The church is, the Father is the destination. The church has gotten stuck on the way. I said that wrong the first time. What, what Derek Prince was trying to express is that Jesus is the way. It's how we get to the destination, which is the Father. And we can do it. We can get on our treadmills and we can, we can run. And somehow we, we find that we can exclude the Father. If we're running for Jesus, Jesus is pointing us always to the Father. If you read the book of John, and I've read it many, many, many times, I spent a couple years just looking at the book of John. I couldn't get out of it. I'd prepare sermons in, in some other topic, and it, I would start, and I would always be brought back to John, and that's where I would live and breathe. I, I couldn't get out of it. I want to just try to wrap up, if I can, just this question that I asked. Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you had given me to do. What is the work that Jesus finished? The finished work of Jesus. Was it the cross? Well, it couldn't be because Jesus said this before the cross. So what was it? And and we get a lot of clues here in in chapter 17. So I'm I'm just going to read through it quickly. Verse six, it says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me and they have kept your word. So he's, he's manifest the reality of who his father was. Verse 12, it says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. I kept them in your reality. I kept them in, in who the reality of who, what you are and who you are is. Verse twenty. 21, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, and the glory which you have given me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Beloved, if you ever have trouble with your brothers or sisters, 
Anyone ever have trouble? Just once, maybe? (laughs) We all do. But what Jesus is saying here is the glory which you gave me. The Father gave the Son some glory. And he says, I've given it to them. That's you and me. He gave us glory so that he did it with a purpose. He said, I gave you glory so that you could be one as me and my dad are one. So if you're ever in... If you're ever not aligned with your brother, your sister, you just go to Jesus and say, remember that glory your, your dad gave you? I need some more. You, you said you'd give it to us so that we would be one as you're one. If, if you're, you're in, in quieto, if you're in conflict, if you're not getting along for whatever reason, the, we're all gonna be one. And we're all gonna live forever and ever and ever and ever together. So we might as well get used to one another. <laughs> I, I like to look at it from this perspective. If, 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 I, if I'm looking at you and, and I'm having trouble with you and I'm, I'm not seeing God in you, but I know that he is seeing him in you and he's loving you. So that means either God's wrong or I'm wrong. I generally lean over to I'm wrong (laughs) in these cases. So if I'm wrong, that means I'm not seeing with the eyes of my heart. I'm not understanding things from God's perspective. So I ask him, help me. Help me see this person that I'm in conflict with from your perspective because you're loving them right now. You're not having trouble with them. I am. (laughs) So that means something's twinkle. Over here, not with you. So help me. And, and, and I will go to Jesus and say, that glory that dad gave you, I need some. Because I'm not seeing it right now. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So, so, there's so much here, but Jesus is just saying to the father that the same love that the father has always loved the son in a minute he's gonna say an eternity past. So far we have Jesus up to the beginning, in the beginning, but in a minute he's gonna say for all eternity the father's loved me and I want this love that you've always loved me with to be in them. That you love them with the same love you've loved me. I mean that's mind blowing. When you real, if you can sit with that just for a minute and go, the same love that perfection, love perfection, loves me. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Do you know me? <laughs> like, why would you love me like that? I'm not worthy of that. I'm not Jesus. <laughs> but in Christ, <laughs> I'm seated at the table. In Christ, I have the same relationship with the Father that Jesus does. There's no difference. I get the same love. We're co-heirs with Christ. He's building us up to the same as the head who is Christ. I'm gonna get married. We're gonna get married to Jesus. But Jesus isn't my boyfriend. (laughs) Jesus isn't your boyfriend. He's our boyfriend. <laughs> we, he's, he's our comprometido. He's, we're gonna marry him. 
We are being built up to Christ. Not me, although it's we. There's a lot there. Verse 24, Father, I desire. If you, if you could imagine Jesus on his way to the cross, he's crying out to dad, oh, I desire our grandson. I love my grandson more than, if, if, if you, when you become a grandparent, there's no greater job on earth. It's the best. You have two rules. Number one, you say yes all the time. That's it. You just say yes. Grandpa! Yeah? I need some mangoes! Okay, let me get you some. He, he, takes, he takes a bath and, and he likes having mangoes and he, he's dairy intolerant so he has mango sorbet with his mangoes. And so he'll sit in the bathtub, Grandma! Yes! I need more mangoes! Okay! <laughs> like, he, he just sits in the bathtub, like he takes three hour baths. And he has his little iPad set up in the corner, he watches Weird YouTube videos, not weird, weird, but like, you know, like, I, I don't even know what it is, but it's people playing like Legos kind of thing. And, and he, he just, ah, Grandma! <laughs> Number two, you just love them. Your only job is to love and to say yes. It's the best job ever. <laughs> and, and when Shepherd comes to me and goes, Grandpa, like, he knows he gets a yes no matter what. But he's also, because he gets a yes, he's, he's not trying to take that which isn't his. He doesn't say, can you get me a Lamborghini? <laughs> he might say, can you get me a matchbox of a Lamborghini? But he's not gonna say, give me a Lamborghini. He's not, it, love, love. When, when you're fully loved and fully known, oh, the freedom that he has in our house. The other, before our, our house burned down a few months ago, and, and he would come into our house, and we had, Leslie's dad had left a chair. We took the chair. It was grandpa's chair. Now it's, I'm now the grandpa. And, and he just laid back in the chair. He likes taking my chair, because like, <laughs> he's 10 he's leaning back in the chair and goes this is the life <laughs> so when, when shepherd says grandpa can I have some mangoes always always the answer is yes Jesus on the way to the cross talking to his dad dad what I really want you know it's a yes it's not even a question. That they who you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see, what he's essentially saying is, Dad, the thing that I really want is I don't, I don't ever want to be apart from them. Can you make a way that, that we live within them forever? O oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you. He came into this world that was devoid of understanding of who God his Father was. The law had taken its place, but Jesus came and said, that's not my dad, let me tell you who he is. But I have known you, these things, and these have known that you have sent me. 
And then he goes on, verse 26, and I have declared to them your name. I have showed them, I have manifest, I have said it over and over. I've lived in the reality of your name. They've lived in your name. They've seen me love you. They've seen you love me. They've seen that I only do what you do the way that you do it. I only say what you say the way that you say it. I do nothing outside of experiencing you loving me. He says all that. And he says, I've declared your name. I've declared who you are on the earth. Earth now has a shot. The only way to the Father is through the Son. I've come so that they have a way back home. I've declared your name and I will continuously, present perfect verb, I will continually declare your name. I will continue to declare your name. How does Jesus continue to declare his name? He goes to the cross. And he says, my dad loves you so much that he sent you, sent me. The father loved you so much that he sent me to reconcile you to himself. He paid the highest price to buy back that which was really his anyway. But now he's paid the full price, me. oh, it it just starts to run out of control here. That the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. I'm I'm just gonna run through a couple verses here and we'll we'll finish. And I know we've gone a little bit over, but we gotta finish now. John 15, 15. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read these verses just real quick and then we'll come to a conclusion No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So because of this relationship I have with my father, I no longer call you servants, I'm now calling you friends. So like the disciples are getting this upgrade from servant to friend, which sounds like a a good deal. Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. I'm not gonna read it, but what it the boiled down version of Hebrews 2, 10 through 18, is that Jesus will bring many sons, plural, to glory. Jesus is gonna bring many sons to glory. So the implication is that the disciples were were servants and they were friends, but the reality is, and what's spoken about in, in Hebrews 2, 10 through 18, is that Jesus brings many sons to glory. He doesn't bring servants to glory. He doesn't bring his friends to glory. Who he brings is sons and daughters to glory. And then we get to John 20. And and honestly, I could spend a couple hours here, but I'll try not to. (laughs) Because it's mind-blowing. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Jesus has been crucified. It's been a few days, but she's come. And, and I love John. John doesn't, John intentionally puts every word he puts in there. It has intention behind it. Went to the tomb early while it was still dark. You see, Mary Magdalene was dark. She didn't see. She couldn't understand what was happening. She was, she was nonplussed. She was, she was in this confused state, and it was all dark to her. 
and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they are. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. So she comes, Mary Magdalene comes into John and Peter and, and she goes, I don't know where they've laid him. And so they go, oh, well, let's go check it out. And, and, and apparently it was important for John to record for all time, although he didn't use his name. <laughs> he said, I just want you all to know, I mean, there's a lot of really important stuff happening here, but also I need you to know that I can run faster than Peter. <laughs> Why is that in there? So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. I mean, there's probably more to it than that. But he could have left that first out. Just saying. <laughs> I love the humanity of, of the writers of the Gospels. Boys are competitive. <laughs> They're just boys. These are just little boys. And oh my gosh, these were... These were children by our standards. Probably most of them, maybe Peter was 18, but likely most of the rest of, all the rest of them were under 18. So these are children. But at least Hovenists by our standard, they, they, they wouldn't even come to big church. <laughs> and yet they're being asked to launch the church. Interesting. <laughs> so many things I... And, and stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen claws lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, verse six, came following him because he's a slow runner and he can't run as fast as him. And they went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around the head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first because he's a faster runner than the other one, went in also and he saw and believed. Now there's this reality in the book of John of seeing and believing. If you can see it, you can believe it. If you can believe it, you can step into it and live it. That's throughout. And, and this is the culmination of that, the seeing and believing. What John has seen is that the, the cloth that would, would have traditionally covered the head of Jesus it was, it was folded up and neatly put in the corner. So what does that mean? If, if it was grave robbers, they're looking for, for money. I mean, maybe the body of Jesus has some political power, possibly, but primarily what they want is the money. So they want the, the stuff, the linens, expensive fabric that was used. So they wouldn't take probably the most expensive piece of fabric, fold it nicely, put it in the corner, and then take the rest. So that was intentionally there. And, and, and John, like, like the penny drops, he's like, oh my gosh. Like, I don't think he fully got it because he runs and hides, but he, he saw something and, and something in his heart struck him. And so there he, he's beginning to believe for he, as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their tomb, to their homes. So the boys, they go and hide. Their leader has been murdered. They're hiding with all the other disciples trying to probably figure out what to do. Our leader has been murdered in a horrible, horrible way and likely they're coming for the rest of us and they were. 
But then Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had laid. So what Mary is looking at is she's looking at the two cherubim and the glory no longer is there. It's a picture, very intentional picture. The angels are the cherubim. So where's the glory now? The glory's not there. It's a good question. There's a good answer. The glory dwells within us. Shortcut answer. But the glory isn't now dwelling amongst the cherubim anymore. He's moved into our house, made a home within us. The glory isn't between the cherubim. It's not on an ark of a covenant. It is, we are the ark of the covenant. We are the, where the glory dwells. So Mary, then, she, then they, so Mary's talking to angels. Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. And Jesus says, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, supposing him to be the gardener, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where have you laid him and I will take him away. And this, I mean, this is mind-blowing. Jesus, God, he, he's, he's gone, gone into Sheol. He's gone in, he's taken the keys and, he, and he's set the captives free. But now he's on his way to his father. He's ascending to his father right now. And as he's ascending to his father, he stops by on earth and he tells the single most important message maybe he's ever spoken. But who does he bring it to? He brings it to a formerly demonized dog. First century Judea understanding of a woman. He stops by at a woman. He could have he gone to Caesar's house, right? Pontius Pilate. Hey, bro, what's up? I'm back. He could have gone anywhere. But he, he could have gone to the disciples. They're all hiding in a house. He could have, hey guys, what are you doing? <laughs> he chose, God chose a woman. And a, a broken woman, not a perfect woman. One that had struggled with her life. An authentic. You see, she came to the tomb because she didn't have a plan B. She had nowhere else to go. The only place she knew where she had experienced life of the Father loving her was through Jesus. The only way she had life was if she could find Jesus. She went to the tomb, the last place she knew he was. He wasn't there. Now she's distraught. I don't have any other answers. I have nowhere else that I can go. Where is Jesus? And then Jesus, while she thought he was the gardener, he says to her the one word that changes her life. He says, Mary. And he said it the way that he probably said it all the time. She didn't recognize him. But something in the way that he just said her name that was familiar, that was colloquial, that was intimate. Mary. 
He says all our names. Mary. And then it says she runs to him and she, she throws her arms around him. And, and listen to what Jesus says. This is so important. Jesus said to her, Mary, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. He's, he's ascending to his father. But then he says this. He says, but go to my brethren and tell them this. This is the single most important thing I may have ever said. And I'm giving it to you, a woman, to carry this message forward. Go and tell my brethren, not, not my servants, not my disciples, not my friends, but my brothers. Go tell my brothers that my God is their God, that my Father is their Father. You, you see, the veil's been torn. The Father stepped into our reality now. He, he, he's, he's, he's amongst us. And Jesus is saying, no longer are, are you separate from him. You are now included in the family. I have made a way where there was no way. And suddenly you have access as the same way that I do, as my brother, as my sister, you have access to Father. And then Jesus goes, and, and we'll just finish this real quick. And, and he, he goes that same evening and he walks into the house. They were shut in because they were fearing for the Jews. And he stood in their midst and he says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and the disciples were glad. <laughs> disciples were glad. Like the most understated word ever, maybe not ever, but close to in the Bible. He says the disciples were glad. Like the literal Greek word is they were ecstatically overjoyed, leaping, like they lost their mind. They were, are you kidding me? Like Jesus is, he was dead and he's alive. And then listen to what he says to them in their gladness. (laughs) So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I now send you. As Father sent me, I now send you. Jesus takes the the baton. What does the baton represent? Why did Jesus, what is the finished work that Jesus did before he went to the cross? That's the question. That's the answer that we must get to because Jesus takes that, whatever it was, and he hands it to us. So what was it? I have declared your name and I will continue to declare your name. What Jesus came to do, the finished work of Jesus prior to the cross was that he declared the name of his father. He came to declare to earth who father was. (coughs) You've totally misunderstanding who my dad is. My dad is kind, he's merciful, he's loving. And you, you think you have them all wrapped up into a law. That law is just a tutor. It's bringing you as a people, the Jewish people, to the place where you can understand that you can't reach him through obedience. You can't reach him through action. But that the only way to the Father is through position as son. 
now, Jesus says to the boys, as my father sent me, I now send you. And as he said it to the boys, he says it to us. As my father sent me to declare his name, I now send you to declare the name of the father. And, and some of you, I, I can hear you, you're saying, well, what about Jesus? They're inseparable. The only way to the Father is through the Son. We've, we've lasted this long. I'll tell one last story. <laughs> Just to, to highlight this. I, I was in Colombia. I was working with some bankers and, and they, were sh- they were doing microloans to the super poor. And, and so they were taking these bankers around just a really, really kind of a shanty town. And I've lived in poor. I know what poor looks like. I don't, I don't need to give in a tour of what poor is. So I just went out to see what I could find. I find three, three young men. And they were, and I was like, hey, how are you guys doing? They're like, oh, hey, what's up? And I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, we're doing our reggaetones. And, and, and they're like doing their, their beats. And, and shanty town. I mean, barely covered, cardboard, just hard, hard living. But these guys were having fun. And I said, would it be all right if, if, if I could do something that would demonstrate that God is loving you right now? Would you be willing to to take a chance and try that out. And they kind of looked at each other like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. I said, okay, just close your eyes and hold out your hands and I'm gonna ask God as Father to touch you in a way that you recognize. And now they're like, like they're a little freaked out. I, I said, you don't have to close your eyes. Just hold out your hand like you're getting a gift. And so I prayed, Father, just come in a way that they can understand that you're loving them. And the first of the three went, Ay, que es esto? Me da toque. Like, like, I'm like, what are you feeling? He's like, I feel like electricity is running through my body. I'm like, oh, that's good. That's him. He's just letting you know that he's loving you and that he can love you at any time. And I look at the other two. I said, what do you feel? And they're like, I'm like, do you, do you want to try some more? And they're like, now they're a little freaked out because, I mean, their first friend was, a little freaked out. And they said, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Father, just come. Come and touch him. And, and the next two are like, ay. <laughs> and so three of them are experiencing something. Father just nudged him and said, you know what? I'm here. I'm real. I said, did you like that? Is that something you'd like to experience? Maybe. Would you like to experience more love? in an ongoing way. And they're like, well, how do you do that? I said, well, the father I'm talking about, he has a son. And you need to know him in order to be attached, connected to the father. And I'm like, oh. And so I, I led them in a simple prayer. They accepted Jesus. They were, they were tocando, <laughs> tocado. <laughs> they were being touched. And, and, and I said, I've, I've only got a couple minutes and, and, and now I'm starting to hear my name, Leo. I'm like, as long as you know the Father and the Son, you might as well know, there's three of them. <laughs> you need to know the Holy Spirit too. And they're like, oh. I'm like, just hold out your hands. And now they're, they're in. And I said, Holy Spirit, just come fill them up. And they all kind of start shaking a little bit. And, and I'm like, okay, I gotta go. Look at my eyes. 
You are now believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He's filled you with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're indwelling. You now have eternity on the inside. Everywhere you go from now on, you carry eternity with you. You need to find a church, probably a Pentecostal church. We're in Colombia. They're gonna teach you a lot more. But I gotta go. You see... People, I found that I'm able to declare the name of the Father. I can't talk about the Father. Nobody can have a relationship with the Father outside of the Son. And as long as they're with the Father and the Son, they might as well come into the whole Trinity. <laughs> I mean, they can't not. They, they can deny it, but they can't not. Oh, beloved, we are on... We're on the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of an adventure. Historically, the, the earth is changing. We, we love Jesus. We worship Jesus. But I would say in the coming days, months, weeks, years, we're going to begin to hear more and more of, of worship coming out for for Father. John 4, Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, true worshipers will worship in spirit, will worship the Father (laughs) in spirit and truth. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Jesus prophesied about it 2,000 years ago. We're just beginning to step into that reality. So Father, we just thank you that you are a good, good Father and that's your desire that we not only understand about you but that we would know you, that this is eternal life, that we would know you as a Father. I will come to you as a Father, he says. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says Almighty God. I will be a father to you. He doesn't say I will be fatherly, I'll do fatherly things. I'll I'll let Jesus act in a way that's fatherly towards you. He says I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says Almighty God. 2 Corinthians 6.18. Oh, beloved, he he wants all of us. The only way to the Father is through the Son. Of course, Jesus, we're never, ever, ever gonna push Jesus aside or or to the back. Jesus is front and center. Father, I'm just asking that we would begin to experience you loving us as a Father that you would be a father to us. That the eyes of our hearts would begin to open, that we would see, that we would experience you loving us. We just confess that you're a good, good father. Good father.
that loves well, that we can trust, that we can lean on, that we can crawl up into. And we love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. And we want the fullness of all that that the Trinity represents on the inside and an outside expression of that. So we just say we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Lunch. So we're going to have a little lunch. And then you're going to hear from my beautiful bride this afternoon.